Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the InsureTech Amplified podcast. We are joined today by Rhonda Marcucci, Vice President Innovation at Gallagher. Rhonda, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's great to have you here. How are you doing, by the way? I'm awesome. We just came off of a three-day weekend here, so it's great. I'm great. I'm really good. What is it? Memorial Day in the United States? It was. Memorial Day yesterday. Mm Mm-hmm. I haven't lived in the United States, by the way. I don't know if I told you this since 1990. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so in a way, there's part of me that doesn't feel super American. Like, I, I always say, like, I feel like I'm a third culture adult. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Third yeah. culture adult. Right. New and, phrase for me. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm in Japan now, which is where I spent most of my adult life. I was here for 22 years, so I feel like kind of Japanese, even though I, I don't look Japanese. It's a very weird thing. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. No, no, I wasn't going to say anything. Anyway, can we get, now that you know a little bit more about me than you probably wanted to know, can I get some of your background for some context? Sure, sure. Way back when, um, I'm a CPA, which I think is a great, great training for business. I spent um, some time in the insurance business. I spent a lot of time in the startups. About 26 years ago, um, I started in a benefit in HR technology and eventually started my own consulting firm, sold it to Arthur J. Gallagher back in uh, 1117, and spent you know some years um, still running that consulting firm. It was related really everything HR and benefits technology, but now I have a VP of innovation title for our Gallagher Benefits Services division. And what we really focus on is employers and their employees in three different ways, uh, health and welfare. Uh, so think medical, dental, vision, life financial, think retirement and financial well-being, and then just HR in general, think leadership, recruiting, um, compensation. I have the best job at Gallagher. I spend a lot of time on the outside in a lot of InsurTech places and a lot of InsurTech accelerators, uh, looking at what's happening in the outside market and then connecting that internally, either connecting it internally for us to increase efficiencies internally, but probably more importantly, um, to help our clients get better at what they do with their people. So it's a cool job and it's a great job. It's like a super cool job. And actually in a way, it's almost like you've come almost full circle, right? Because you said you used to work at startups, you had your own company, which was sort of an innovation style company anyway. And then you moved into Gallagher because they purchased it. And then they basically said to you, all that stuff you were doing, keep doing it and just do yes, it with us. That's that exactly wrong? right. No, that's right. And in fact, Gallagher, before I sold my business to them, they were a client of mine. And I used to do what I do now, which is I used to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I think we need to be paying attention to X. And they'd say, oh, okay, why don't you go do that for us? And so now I'm doing it just on a much broader scale than I used to in a much bigger organization. So this is the key question. How do you find out what X is? Do you know what I mean? Ah, yes. I spend a lot of time in the external world, external Gallagher. I go to a lot of conferences. I actually intentionally, when I started this job a couple of years ago, intentionally created an ecosystem of people in my life that I consistently talk to. So I talk to investors. I talk to entrepreneurs. I talk to people who run these accelerators. I go to accelerator meetings and I actually intentionally have an ecosystem of people that I stay in touch with. And then I'm, I'm a pretty curious person. Uh, so 
I read a lot. I mean, every day I read a lot about what is happening in the market and what's interesting out there. How do you keep yourself up to date with what like the most important technology is? I'm not a technologist per se. I don't program, but I've always kind of been the person inside my little business who just took the computer, moved it onto my desk, put Excel on it the first time when everybody else was using Lotus one, two, three. Like, how do you keep up to date with everything besides all those other things that you're doing? And why do you care so much about it? I think I think these this day and age it's really hard to keep up to date and I feel like you have to be really intentional about how you use your time. Yeah. Um and I also think that I've come a long way from thinking that I had to know exactly how it all worked yeah. to knowing that there's someone else who's probably more of an expert and I just need to know who that person is. And by the way just to show my age we used to use MultiPlan before Lotus 123 before Excel. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, I won't even go back to, I won't even go back to the stuff that I used to use, but, but it's always been super important to me to do kind of the same thing, right? Like I was never the expert, but I was trying to find the person who was an expert to do this so that I could leverage them, but also give them credit too. How do you figure out who is and who isn't the expert in something though? Ah, I'm glad you asked me that question because so many people think they're an expert or they say they're an expert. And once you start to talk to them, you find out, well, just because they spent a couple of years here or there doing this doesn't right. mean you're an expert at all. Right. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've been spending a lot of time with younger folks who think if they've done something three or four times, they're now an expert in it. And they they don't have any scars on their back. They haven't seen a, a business cycle. They haven't. And I, so to me, I think it's really important to like understand where has this person been? What have they done? How many times have they done it? And I think the other thing that's really, really important is, and I see this happening more and more, all this great communication medium we have yeah. has reduced our face-to-face -face or simply our voice-to-voice. -voice. And I feel like often I'll say to a younger consultant, hey, pick up the phone and call so-and-so and ask them about this. And they'll come back and they'll say, okay, I sent him an email and here's what he said back. And I right. said, I told you to call him not to send an email. And I think we're, I'm, we're losing some of that. I think expertise comes from truly live conversations with people, whether they're face-to-face -face or not. Even if we just pick up the phone, I, I think a lot of expertise comes from, I know so-and-so, I've known so-and-so for years, I've watched them, I've watched this space. And I, I think that the tools today, which are so amazing, the tech that we have today is so much better than multiplan, right? <laughs> um, but in some ways, it's also um, a little bit hurting us in terms of the nuances that you pick up from, you know, conversations. Yeah. And one, look, one of the interesting things you said earlier was, I read a lot, right? Oh, I read a ton. I try to read, I gauge like about a thousand pages a week, sometimes more. But here's the thing though, right? I struggle with this. Right? I'm 57 years old and I've seen multiple business cycles and multiple economic cycles. And I kind of know, I, I don't know what's coming, but when I hear people talk about chat GPT disrupting and putting like thousands of people out of work, I just think, yeah, but no one rides a horse, but people still, you know what I mean? Like all these things. Are I just totally simple. agree with you. It's, it is. And you know, like, I feel like these days I can almost predict what's going to happen Yeah, because I've seen enough cycles and I've seen enough hype and I've seen enough things 
chat GPT is a great example, right? Where we're all getting really excited about it, but we all know there's limitations to it and it's going to take time for it to work itself out. And yet, you know, we are all excited about it. So it's, it's, uh, but I, I'm with you. You, you can't get that kind of wisdom unless you've been through some cycles to the point where you can predict. So here's, here's what I struggle with. I don't want to be a person who's just telling someone you don't know this because you haven't been through that. But what I want to do is expose them to this idea of here are things that have happened in the past that are similar, like the Gartner hype cycle. You should pay attention to it, even if it's not appropriate for every situation. Think about the fact that there have been other innovations and go back for yourself and try to figure out what was the conversation around those innovations at the time and how different is it from what those innovations are? Because I don't want to be the guy on the lawn with a shotgun, right? Because I don't think that's really effective. I, I I agree with you. And I actually, when I was thinking about doing this podcast, I was like, oh, I don't want to come off as like a an old person, like banging at the young. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, there's so much to be learned from history, whether it's in tech or outside tech. Yeah. I remember during COVID, I don't, someone sent me a picture and it was a picture of uh, when they had the Spanish flu and everybody had these masks on. And I sent it to my dad and my dad said, History repeats itself. And I thought, yes, history does repeat itself and we can learn a lot from it, right? Yeah, it was weird. You know, COVID's a great example of this, right? Because it's so clear and it was so powerful. But if you do go back and read about the Spanish flu, which was what, 1917 or 1918, I was almost there. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was the same arguments, just at a different scale, right? And because there weren't as many people and it wasn't, easy, it wasn't as easy to disseminate information. So it took more time for people to go, this is ridiculous or please get vaccinated and all this other stuff where today you just send it out. But I, I want to get back to this reading thing too, though, right? Because I had a conversation with a guy who runs an AI business, like it's all artificial intelligence. And they, what they do is they hire people around the world to do like, it's, it's, it's a recognition software, but the only way to really train it is to have humans do it. And mm -hmm. he had this quote of like understanding and the illusion of understanding and I can't stop thinking about it, right? Because all the reading that you do, right? In other words, you could take artificial intelligence and you can run it through a whole bunch of stuff at scale and have it come back to you with something. But then do you really understand it or do you just believe that you understand it? Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And I I agree. It's It's interesting that you bring this up because I'm working on a project right now where we have some people that are truly experts at reading a certain kind of contract. Okay. And they came to me and they said, we can't scale this expertise. It's just too expensive. These people are really hard to find. Can you find us a tool that can help us do this? Right. And it was, you know, they want an AI tool. And what struck me was, Yes, of course I can find you a tool that does this, but I still need these people. And then thinking further down the path, 10 years, when these people no longer exist, what will happen? You, you know what I mean? Like we're Complain. always going to need those that expertise and it's always going to have to be checking the AI, in my opinion. And so we can't lose, and that's kind of a fear that I have, that we lose this it's back to your illusion piece, right? Yeah. That you lose the the concept of we have, still have to do the work to understand what's happening. Right. Even if we can use the AI to make our lives better, to make our lives, to, to cut down the time we have to spend. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point, right? I always go back to the horses and cars thing, right? 
because you still need someone to know how to put like a horseshoe on like that hasn't changed in 150 or 200 years. We don't do it as much, but if, as those people continue to die off, actually those people's salaries probably go higher and higher because there are just fewer and fewer of them around. But back to the understanding thing, particularly in the context of innovation, I need to, even if Lisa in finance, right, is using an artificially intelligent tool to do a whole bunch of analysis, there may be some missing dot that needs to get connected. And the only way to do it is, like you said, by sitting around and in most cases face to face and just saying, did we consider this aspect about it? Because in the previous cycle, when this other thing happened, it seems like this thing that's happening now. Right. So I don't think it's ever going to go away. We've seen this in, in my stock trading business as well. We were given a ton of information in real time. But at the end of the day, we would say to the buy side trader, do you really think it's the right time to buy Toyota or not? Right. Because even though the AI was telling them either to do it or not to do it, at the end of the day, you had to think something's different here and it doesn't feel right. And I don't know if you can ever teach a machine like that. Do you think about these hybrid solutions as well? Yes, yes. I don't I don't think definitively that you can teach a machine to have what we all gain over time as what I consider to be wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. I, and context. Context, yeah. right? right? To your point about the real time. Is this the right time? Well, what's happening around me? How do I take that all into account? I don't I don't think I can teach a machine to do that. Yeah, I don't think that that's ever going to happen. I think sometimes people really underestimate how powerful the human brain is, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. And how, where do you think storytelling, the ability to explain this stuff if in another way, is important in the context of innovation, right? So you go out, you meet all these people, right? You meet venture capitalists, you meet investors, you meet private equity people, you meet people building things, you meet the guys and gals that are founders or co-founders. How important is it for them to be able to explain something to you in a way that's compelling as opposed to just here are seven facts that we have? It, they have to they have to explain it to me so that it's compelling because half the time I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and I, I have to then go back to my teams who are not out there every day like I am right. and get it even more you know, simpler, like truly simpler. And I think storytelling it's really, really important. It's yeah. an important skill. It's an important to be able to say, to your point about the cars and the horses, you have to have that story, right? Yeah. You, you have to give it to me in a in a way that I can understand it and then turn around and easily explain it to others. So you just said something really funny as well. You're like, I'm, I don't even know if I understand what they're saying, which is a little bit of self-deprecation. I'll give that to you for sure. But don't you think over time you have to get more comfortable saying, I don't know, as opposed to just like sucking that information in? Because it's the only way you're actually going to really understand if you go, I, I don't get that. You need to re-explain that to me. But then you need to be comfortable doing that as well, no? Well, I think, so this goes back to like, what does it mean to be an expert? Yeah. You have to be, um, you have to acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know. And you have to be confident enough to raise your hand and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Could you please explain that to me? And I, I do, I do feel like there's a lot of imposters, right? A lot of people who say they're an expert yeah. and they're not because they don't, they don't have that, you know, that I'll admit it. I don't know what you're talking about. Could you please explain it to me in a different way? Yeah. Or I better go and I better get smart about this because I keep hearing about it and I'm not understanding it. 
it's always been ironic to me that the people that understand something the most are the people with the biggest imposter syndrome and the people that have the least amount of knowledge feel like like they don't even understand hubris. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just so yes. sure they're right. Is that fair? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's very fair. Again, I was on a phone call with a guy this morning and one of the things he said to me was that the mindset is the hardest thing to change. When you're explaining innovation in the context of innovation inside your work in insurance and insure tech and stuff like that, how hard is it for you to change the mindset of the people with whom you're working? Oh, I'm glad you asked me that question because um, probably, and I'm getting better at this, but one of the hardest things I had to do in the beginning of this job, because it was a brand new kind of position, yeah, was to say to the people inside, let's talk about adopting this technology to do things differently right and um oh by the way let's make sure we understand how we're doing this today so we can figure out if adopting this technology would help us do it better faster cheaper whatever right right and that i'm getting better at it but it was it's amazing to me how many people are just in their thing doing their thing the yeah. same way every day and I mean, I feel really lucky because I'm exposed to a lot of, of, okay, we could do it differently. We could do it differently. But then the mindset inside the organization, it's not that people aren't receptive. It just takes a lot to get everybody on board. And and especially in a big kind of complex organization, I, I we, we are a hugely complex organization with a lot of history right and yeah. a lot of history sitting inside our organization doing things the way we've always done them so glad you asked that question because i would say i'm getting better at it but i'm not that good at it and i didn't know that i would have to develop that skill i kind of thought everybody was kind of like me and i'm finding that's really not the case and that's not a bad thing because i can't do what they do <laughs> But isn't this one of the biggest challenges of that new role, right? Of having this role of being in an innovation space is that that's the way your mind is already conditioned to think about things. So when you go out, you're always looking for something new, something interesting, something different. But internally, and, and it took me a while to figure this out too, the people doing the day-to-day -day job, they're not anti-innovation. They're just no. pro getting their job done, right? Exactly, right? exactly. Yep, you are so right. And I would also say, and this just came up last week, we're going to adopt some technology that could could be life-changing for these folks, right? Yeah. And the vendor said, what we're really worried about is that your folks have never done anything like this before, and so it's going to fail. And we actually had to say, we're giving them a lot of help, outside help, right? so that they don't fail. And it's true. They'd never done anything like this before. And in fact, in the beginning, when we were talking about how this could be life-changing, they said to me, we'll never get any money to do this. And I said, stop, 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 stop. I said, we will. If we have a good idea and it makes sense, we'll get the money. That, right. that, that cannot be our mindset. Our mindset has to be, how do we do this better? How do we serve our clients better by doing this? And that was actually a thing that I figured out this morning or yesterday morning when I was talking to this gentleman was it's not that they don't want to change their mindset, but it's so complex the way, like you said, like, because even the, the guy that you were just talking about, we won't get the money for it. 
you've got to convince him that you will get the money for it. He's got to be convinced that the people that are there can have their mind changed. They have to be convinced that they're not going to lose their jobs and that their, their lives are going to get better. Like all these things are happening. In reality, like you're just trying to innovate, right? But it's more than just like having a new idea and a new piece of technology, yeah? You know, I, I put together actually for this specific group of people, this slide. Um, and I said, here's how you work with an early stage company. Right. And I, I did that because it was it was clear to me after working on this for a couple months that they are used to being given something that is baked, fully baked. Right. And when we work with early stage companies, nothing is baked. And in fact, it's we not even have the oven yet, but go ahead. Right. Right. We have the power. This is what I say to them. We have the power to actually influence the product. That's why we're working with early stage companies, because. In general, they usually don't have a lot of experience in our industry, but they're really smart and they really understand tech. And, and we can, you know, lend them our expertise to make this product better, make it a better industry solution. And sometimes I get pushback on that, like, why are we doing this for them? And I'm kind of like, no, 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 we want to do this for them because right. we want to influence the product. We don't want to be given the product that we don't like that doesn't work very well because we couldn't influence it. Yeah. I mean, and I say this all the time to my guests. I'm like, I want to have the conversation you want to have, right? It's this, it's in a way it's the same thing. So I want you to have influence over what happens on this show. It's the same thing. And because look, I always give the, um, the analogy of a blind date, right? Let's say our friends put set us up for a blind date, right? And I take you out to a restaurant or you take me out to a restaurant. It's your favorite restaurant. We may have had this conversation already. And you know the restaurant so well, but I want steak, but you know the chicken's amazing. So you order me the chicken. I'm like, it's good, but I'm unfulfilled here because I didn't have agency, right? And it's hard <laughs> to explain to people that you don't have to just have the chicken. You have agency. So when you're working with them, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for yourself. And it's so hard exactly. to nuanced, right? Yes, it is. It is nuanced. And it's nuanced, really nuanced with folks who are just, to your point, heads down, just trying to get their job done. Yeah. Yeah. How does any organization's culture, I'd love to see the slide, by the way. I'd love to have you walk I'll me through the slide. You send it to me because I want to see what that is. I'm so curious about how big companies work with startups. Because when I was at like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, we never really did that. We worked with one, but that was kind of when I was at Deutsche Bank and I didn't really do it. I kind of watched it happening from far away, but I'd love to know how you do it. How does organizational culture, like the overall culture of the firm, impact its ability to accept innovation and innovative solutions? I mean, I think of Gallagher as having an incredibly great culture and one of innovation, maybe not everywhere, but I would say part of my role is to help us get that, you know, figure that out. Right. I, I will tell you something really funny that is on the slide that I learned a long, long time ago. Now, I know you haven't been in the U.S. in a while, but one of the things I always say to my folks is pretend like you're from Missouri. So Missouri, I don't know if you remember this, is the show me state, right? right? <laughs> And I say, you know, you the 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 vendor on the other side is is getting you excited about what they have, and they're telling you they can do all these things, but they haven't really baked it in yet. 
And one of the things we went through recently was the vendors said they could do all these things, but they couldn't. And then, of course, my team was really disappointed. And I said, we have to stop. I said, we have, that's why I put the slide together. I said, you have to act like you are from Missouri. I said, you have to make them show it to you. And then you'll actually understand what they can and can't do. And of course there's a language barrier, right? I mean, this is, this is, we're all speaking one language, but we're not, we're speaking past each other, speaking over each other. We're not speaking the same language. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of the show me state and the show me uh, motto. I think I'm going to use that as the title of this episode, pretend you're from Missouri. It's such a great thing. And I love the fact that you use that on the slide. I cannot wait to see this slide. Have you personally like used things like mid journey chat GPT four, like all this kind of stuff to see like how they work just to, just to understand what the output is and what those prompts and inputs are meant to be. Yes. I, I actually checked out chat GPT. I thought it was really, really interesting. What it, I actually asked it this question. I asked it, how does AI and natural language processing work together? Right. Because I was I was trying to solve a problem internally, actually with that contract thing you and I were talking about. Right. And I was talking to a lot of companies. I couldn't quite understand the difference between somebody who was using a large language model and somebody who was just you'd use, you know, training an AI model. Right. And I have to say, I got a pretty decent answer, I thought. I mean, it, it helped me understand better. Now, that said, I tested that answer with some people that, I knew were experts um, because I I didn't want to just take it at face value. I was like, "Mm, you know, I'm not sure about this just yet. (laughs) And then I asked it some other questions that it couldn't answer at all, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) But again, it probably came back with an answer with complete confidence. One of the first things that I did when I started testing this was I just asked it, who is Michael Waits? Now, remember, I've done thousands of recordings, a ton of writing. It should know who I am. Right. Like I would understand if your cousin didn't know who I was, but ChatGPT should be able to figure out who I am. And it just came back with something completely wrong. I didn't even want to be that guy that it said I was. Interesting. Interesting. I'll have to ask it who I am and see what it comes back with. Although I'm not as famous as you. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, again, I didn't mean to suggest that I was famous, but there's just a lot of information out there about You're out there, right? I'm out there. So it should know something about me. Or maybe maybe I'm not as out there as I think I am. It's, it's important that you've been hired, right? Because it says something about Gallagher's desire to be innovative, right? But how do, and maybe we'll leave on this, how do employees inside of a firm, whether they've been there for five years or 15 years, know what the culture is? Like how do firms tell their employees what the culture is without sitting them down and saying, here are the five things that matter to us? Or is that how it happens? You know, we have something called the Gallagher way. Okay. And I'm embarrassed to say, I think there's 23 tenants to it and we live them. We all live them. And one of the things that I love about Gallagher is Gallagher grows through acquisition and they'll tell you immediately that, cause I'm a merger partner, we are not buying you for your revenue stream. We are buying your talents. Yeah. And you know, like I remember when I was thinking about selling my company I could have sold it to a variety of people and I could have sold it to people who would pay me more. Interesting. And I sat down and I said, you know what, where do I want to be? Where do I want to be? Cause this is my last move. I, I told myself at the time. Right. And, um, you know, I looked at the culture of all these organizations and I said, that's the culture that I want to be a part of. 
So we live our culture. It's really, really important. And you should be able to feel that. Yeah. You should be able to feel it from interacting with people from, you know, from anything from, you know, what does it take to, to sell your business to someone or just the interview process alone, in my mind. I agree. I'll leave you with this. I worked at Goldman Sachs for a while. And when I was there, I knew exactly what the culture was. And nobody there complained about being there. They loved being there. They were super proud of it. Let's just say I worked at another big American investment bank that wasn't Morgan Stanley. And everybody there hated it. And that's all they did was moan about it all the time. And it was, I didn't understand that because that was kind of one of my last career moves. So I came from a place where it was aggressive, but fair, fast moving, but like thoughtful, right? And very profitable. And the other place was just like meandering and slow moving and not thoughtful at all and just kind of scattershot. And it was weird for me because I didn't know how to operate inside that environment. You're right. The culture is obvious, I think, to people, even if it's not written down. Well, and you know what? You're so lucky to have been somewhere that was so great, right? Yep. I mean, think about people who have only been in places that were yucky. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's important, right? But I mean, and they don't know, they don't, they don't, they don't get to feel the support and frankly, the love and the you know, what you get out of a culture, the energy you get out of a great culture. Yeah, I agree. I do feel very lucky. Okay, I'm going to let you go. Rhonda Marcucci, Vice President of Innovation at Gallagher. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.